Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resting Batch Face, the only reality TV podcast recap show where one of the hosts didn't realize that playing with keys during recording might create some background noise. I am Dan Paul, joined as always by my co-host Gwen Kirby. Gwen, how are you doing on this Sunday? Dan, I'm doing wonderfully. It's a it's a beautiful sunny day. Um, the Spurs were victorious, which means that we're able to record this podcast because you're in a you're in the emotional state to to do so. Um, and yeah, I'm ready to I'm ready to like this son of a bitch. We're gonna we're gonna get crazy lit, and not only because I ended up with a four shot iced americano due to some kind of operator error. One thing I will say before we get into this, just just for our, our nine potential listeners, there's a chance we may have to change our podcast name in the near future because there is another podcast that is pretty inactive but still exists called Resting Batch Face, or we may just barrel forward thinking that we don't have enough listeners for it to matter. But just bear in mind, anything is possible on the naming front. What I wanted to start with before we get into Temptation Island, and there's a lot happening on the island in this third episode for us to discuss, but we haven't gotten any listener questions yet, I think perhaps because we don't really have any listeners, but a friend did text me asking if we were going to do any Bachelor recaps, and we certainly plan to going into the future, and I thought because of where The Bachelor is at this moment, this might be a decent time to just do a quick discussion about how we differentiate the experience, what's wrong with The Bachelor, and what we kind of hope shows like Temptation Island do to not fall into those exact traps, or at least to kind of fill the void for us as we wait for The Bachelor potentially to write a chip. So Gwen, you are much more of a Bachelor, Bachelorette historian than I am. I wonder if you might just talk for a moment about what you see is going wrong with that franchise, and what, if anything feels different to you about what Temptation Island offers for for Bachelor fans out there wondering if Temptation Island is for them. Oh my God, what a proud day for me, the Bachelor, Bachelorette historian. Yeah, The Bachelor's a, a mess, both right now and kind of systemically. Right now, The Bachelor's a mess because Chris Harrison did an interview with Rachel Lindsay and was just pretty damn racist. I'm not going to get into everything he said. If you want to hear all about that, Rachel Lindsay talks about it on her podcast. It is pretty bad. So he's temporarily stepped away. He's kind of on his half-assed apology tour. It's not going very well. But the the franchise also just has a history of of racism. There have only been two Black Bachelorettes ever. Matt is currently the very first Black Bachelor. And there have been problems both with casting casting people of color into the cast and also with hiring people of color on the production end so like producers camera people etc etc and that has not made for very sensitive portrayals of uh black and brown people on the franchise and it is a huge problem uh temptation island is different than the bachelor in a lot of ways maybe primarily in that The Bachelor is very incestuous. The lead in a current season is almost always a contestant in the previous season. There's a spinoff show called, um, I was about to say there's a spinoff show called Temptation Island. No, there's a spinoff show called Bachelor in Paradise where all the contestants from previous seasons get together to make out on the beach. And so it kind of compounds its problems over and over and over across the seasons. So far, Temptation Island is only three seasons long, and they feel very discreet from one another. 
I don't know anything about Mark Wahlberg as a human being, and I don't know anything about the experiences of black and brown contestants and leads on Temptation Island, so I can't really speak to that. But yeah, The Bachelor needs to get its shit together because they are not doing great right now. A couple things came to mind for me. One was that Temptation Island does kind of a nice job in suggesting that there's a beautiful equality of idiocy. I think they've done a very good job in terms of diversity and casting and have demonstrated that it, it really doesn't matter what your background is if you're willing to be an idiot on an island and make terrible decisions over the course of a, of a season. I also think I was thinking of just that, you know, the sub the subtitle from that that movie, that Michael Keaton movie from like five, six years ago, Birdman or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. And I do think there's something to be said about the unexpected virtue of idiocy. I think it's impossible to take yourself that seriously when the premise is so stupid in a way that the bachelor is constantly pretending that it actually mirrors the way that people actually meet or mirrors some kind of fairy tale. And I don't think that there's that same kind of romanticism about Temptation Island um, because it's so, if anything, the thing that is surprising are the moments that are not ludicrously tawdry. And so I do think that the viewing experience is different in that I think there's less of an expectation of finding any kind of fairy tale romance, though, again, I don't even know who enters into The Bachelor with that. But I don't think I think the producers, the producers have more of a license and are slightly more in line with the viewer at times than perhaps what's happening on The Bachelor. But again, I don't know, just viewing experience, setting aside the terrible racial politics of the way the bachelor is produced and all that just as somebody who started watching temptation island because i guilted you into it but had been a longtime bachelor fan what what felt different about the viewing experience for you either sort of positive or negative the bachelor is so uh coy about sex and and that really really took me by surprise the first time i watched Temptation Island. I mean, even just the the language around sex and The Bachelor is, you know, the lead is not supposed to have sex with anyone until there's only three people. And then it's the fantasy suites. And those are, you know, it's behind closed doors. And the most you might get is like a silhouette against the glass and then you like fade to black. And I think that that speaks to what you're saying about sort of the, the fairy tale romanticism of the, the Bachelor, which is that it's very performative and you go through these very clear steps of like how to fall in love. First you say, I'm falling for you. And then you say, I'm falling in love with you. And then you say, I love you. And then your genitals are allowed to touch, but only behind closed doors. You know, when I watched Temptation Island for the first time, it was the second season. And one of the leads had sex with one of the contestants the first night. And I was like, holy shit, I guess they're just going to do it. And I, that was when I realized this is a this is like a frat party with some people who are in theory not supposed to bang other people. It's just it's just completely different. I was I was both very surprised and kind of charmed by the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just like it, it just if the premise promises you that these people are going to be tempted, and by God, they will be. <laughs> I think that's important. Also, you skipped over the most important part about the interaction from season two that you just recalled, which was that he then said he was the captain now. Oh my God, I forgot about that. And then we all referred to him as the captain for the rest of the season. 
I, I think it also points to the fact that like the idea that you actually get reality on reality TV is obviously absurd, but a, I do think you get more reality than the bachelor, which is saying nothing, but does perhaps make it more satisfying. And that also, if anything, the reality that you do get is a more sort of earnest or at least unconcerned performativity. So right, like in that way that, you know, not that, not that everything is about, about postmodern lit, right. But like in that sense that, you know, some of the postmodernists might say the only real truth is that there is no stable truth. And so that like the truth that we get through that kind of fiction is the reality that that kind of fiction is representative of how we actually engage with the world and our lives. I do think that the truth we get from Temptation Island is that everybody is full of shit. And that to me is convincing and at times moderately compelling. I mean, so little has to do with, with postmodern lit. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it's very strange to talk about Temptation Island as having less artifice than something else. But yeah, I can't disagree with you. Again, its artifice is exposed. And so the truth that we get from Temptation Island is its willingness to expose its own artifice. Though we will say, and again, I'm going to, we'll, as we get in now that we're going to recap the episode, we're going to think about the relationships, we're going to think about the people. I do think there might actually some, be some people who are getting a little bit earnest and I'm, I'm worried about all of them. And to a certain extent, my level of worry for a human being on Temptation Island is completely based on if I think that they think that anything that's happening is actually real. And if they do, then I think they are, they are in for a world of hurt. So getting into the episode itself, we, we ended in the middle of a bonfire. And so we're going to start by going through the six remaining bonfire clips that we saw and deciding if we think any of them matter about anything. But I do feel like it's worthy, worthwhile to recap just briefly the one quote that we ended with last week that we started with this week in which Erica says, sometimes I feel like I just talk and I keep talking until I believe what I'm saying, which unofficially is now the motto of this podcast. She then <laughs> pauses for a second and says, I'm so confused, which I feel is probably the motto of our listeners. <laughs> All right. So we start in with Kristen watching Julian pretty benignly suggest that the women should do a dance off. And I say benign in part because it's clear that the producers told him to say it. it. It had the kind of the same cadence for the video game players out there of those moments when just it's completely clear that some character is just being expository before you have to go through a sequence. And yet Kristen seemed a little bit upset. What was your, what's your take? Do you think that do you agree with me that she was overreacting? Was was what she saw him do, which is to say, ask women to dance, a violation? And, or what, what's going on here with Kristen? Yeah, I mean, we return to the glorified outdoor air fryer. And <laughs> Kristen is... Kristen wants him to cheat on her because she wants to break up with him. And so she watched him get the least erotic lap dance in the history of Temptation Island, possibly in the history of the world, where he looks really uncomfortable. He's like, covers his face. Like he just, I feel like if he could say, ew, get off me, that is what he would say. And she's like, yeah, that man whore, where are his priorities, she says. That man is gonna get like one hand on a tit 
and she is going to dump his ass immediately. She wants out of this so hard. It's unbelievable. So that was my thought. I thought this was a zero on the betrayal scale. And she is just waiting with bated breath for him to take a wrong step so she can dump him. I like that idea. I think you're probably right. I, I thought about it in a different way, which was that rather than her being calculating, it's not just that she's like naive about the world. This is the most naive I have ever seen anybody be about what Temptation Island is. There's a moment where she says, as the camera, the clip ends with, again, this this lap dance that those lap dance historians out there would rate a zero. And if there are any lap dance historians, you know, we are always looking for comments. But what she said was, well, what's going to happen after that? Like, it cut off. What if it gets worse? Which, which means she doesn't realize that the goal of the producers is always to show the thing that is most inflammatory. The idea that they would not sadistically show her something that was going to make her freak out demonstrates that she has no idea how this show works. And I will say, I had thought about creating a category where we vote on or we each discuss which contestant seems the least likely to have ever watched an episode of this show but it is Kristen by so much that I see no reason to even to even engage in that but I think you're probably right and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get into some of the things that happen in the, in the episode I don't think that he's going to cheat on her and I do think she's going to break up with him which weirdly weirdly creates kind of the saddest possible outcome in which he will have succeeded in this trial by fire and it will not have mattered. Yeah, I concur 100%. Okay, moving on to the last bonfire clip on the lady's side. Aaron watches Corey take a body shot and has a pretty reasonable reaction. She doesn't seem to be particularly phased by it. But what I do kind of want to talk about is where she begins the process of crying, which is important at the bonfire no matter what clip is actually being shown and she basically says that youth sports destroyed her and makes it basically impossible for her to engage emotionally with people and Gwen Kirby given your past as the field hockey star of Southern California I'm wondering what you thought about this take I mean god it's true my storied athletic career has been very hard for me to walk away from I mean when you're on top like that when you are the second best defender on your mediocre varsity high school field hockey team, uh, you know, that's a, that's a peak you'll never reach again. I will say, having played youth sports at a level where I was good enough to be on a team with people who were good enough to play in college, which is to say I was not going to be good enough, but they were. Some of them had parents where it was very clear that this experience was going to fuck them up for the rest of their lives. Like I've played sports with those girls and I feel like I knew Aaron in high school and I get it. Girl, you will never win your father's love by being good at soccer. That just isn't something that you can do and Corey can't fill that hole in your heart and neither can another failed soccer player. It's sad, but it's true. Couple things to pull out from there. One, if any of Gwen's high school teammates happen to be listening, I just want to make sure you know that she called you mediocre, not me. <laughs> Second, as much as you want to neg yourself, I do think there's a decent chance you could have played in college, which is to say you went to a college that was weak enough athletically that even you might have starred 
That's true. We didn't have a field hockey team, but I did play on our club team and I was quite good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that you didn't start up or attempt to start <laughs> some kind of intramural field hockey club at either your MFA or your PhD. All right, moving on to the men's side. Before we get to their actual clips, which are just impossibly benign, I do, <laughs> I do have to say Corey says, quote, Temptation Island is like a pressure cooker. And my question for you, Gwen, is there a different appliance that you would you would argue is a better <laughs> metaphor for Temptation Island. Wow, I'm so on the spot right now. I don't... A Hitachi magic wand? I don't know what kind <laughs> of appliance we're going for. <laughs> Nothing in my kitchen really speaks to me about Temptation Island. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Outside of maybe the um, the frog in the pot proverbial metaphor, but... But, I mean, these are a bunch of frogs who are very eager to get into that temperature pot. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure that analogy holds. What about you, Daniel Paul? I was just thinking about those, like, anywhere where you get that shelf of just stuff seen on TV, which is to say, like, seems like a better idea when you're doing it or buying it than it actually ends up being. And 50% at least of why you buy it is some weird sense of celebrity of just, like, being able then to relate to the people who are on the commercials. So the men sit down to watch their clips, and I will say it did make me think a little bit of Goldilocks in that instead of the three levels of heat for the different bowls of porridge, it's the three levels of unbuttoning shirts that they were going with. Kendall has the full t-shirt. Thomas is all the way basically down to the belly button unbuttoned, and the other two of them are, are somewhere in the middle. So Corey watches Aaron talk about her soccer journey with Griff and his Olivier Giroux hair. And I do think he's more reasonable than the others, or at least he seems more human in that it does seem to affect him because it seems as if he's actually moderately invested in his relationship, which is not, I would argue, the case with Kendall or Thomas when we get to there. But do you have any takeaways from Corey reacting to Aaron's soccer talk? Not really. I think you said it right. Uh, Corey's emerged as my favorite dude. Uh, of the four he just seems like a sweet guy who's kind of realizing that maybe his relationship wasn't all that great I will say as a general overall overall comment um this was a damn boring bonfire like these ladies have just not done much on the island yet Uh, I'm hoping for more tempting next week the way it typically works though is that this is action reaction stuff So what I anticipate is going to happen is that the men will do worse things, which then the women will see, which will then lead them to escalate and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So the first bonfire is tough because they don't have anything to react to. And so they haven't done anything particularly incendiary. I'm spoiled by last season where at the first bonfire, someone watched their partner have sex with the captain. Not every season can have a captain, which is a shame. But we'll see who emerges and how they navigate naval ranks as we go on. So Julian watches Kristen just giggle with Jesse and then a brief shot of him now taking the man bun down, talking at a picnic table. And there's really nothing about this clip except I will just say where you say Corey is the one that you're most sympathetic to. I actually feel a little bit worse for Julian because I don't think he realizes that his relationship is doomed yet. And I think he's also sweet, and I think he's going to try, and I, I don't think it's going to matter. 
Yeah, I agree. I think going to Temptation Island may benefit Corey, either because he gets out of this relationship or because Aaron, it seems like already is realizing like, oh, maybe I'm the problem. Julian just straight up doesn't realize that this is the end and it's going to be long and drawn out and painful and it's going to involve video clips. Moving on to Kendall. Kendall watches Erica basically tell Lex she has no interest in fucking anybody. And again, continue to treat Temptation Island as a kind of couples therapy and talk about what she is what she is working on. And Kendall just smugly says he's not worried about anything she does in a way that it's impressive to me that Kendall is managing to make me like him less with each passing episode and each passing moment. But this was able to lower my my affection for Kendall. Yeah, he was came across as a smug asshole. I mean, he might as well have just said like, yo, can we hurry this up? Like, I got a lap dance to get back to. It was not great. Kendall is the runaway if I'm voting on who not only will break up with his girlfriend, but who will forget his girlfriend's name before the end of the season. He's definitely the most likely candidate. Thomas then watches Chelsea just discuss snowboarding with Blake. Again, <laughs> no better foundation for a relationship than the discovery of common interests. But it does make me think, like, is there nothing Chelsea and Thomas both like doing? Like, do they have nothing? Like, not even, what if, they are the prime candidate for the song Breakfast at Tiffany's from the 90s. Like, we have nothing in common, but but we both like this movie. Yeah, I mean, the idea that the the twist of the knife for Tom with the bonfire is that she has one common interest with another human being on the island. That's That doesn't say too many good things about how much she and Thomas have in common. Well, let's use Thomas to pivot here, because what I want to get into, rather than just chronologically go through the episode, where still there's not everything going on just yet, to see how we think this this episode changed our sense of these people or their relationships. And I actually want to start with Thomas, because I actually do think this episode changed my perception of Thomas in a very specific way. But I guess I just want to start with you. So if we're talking about Thomas and Chelsea, what's something that you found interesting about this episode? Or do you feel like they're in the same place, different place? What are some things happening with them worth discussing? Um, I think the thing I noticed about Thomas this episode was that last episode, he got into like that mini tiff where, you know, the woman was like, well, you're here to meet people. And he was like, no, I'm here to leave with my girlfriend. Um, and this episode, he seemed to be making, I don't want to say a genuine connection, because let's not get carried away. But he certainly seemed to be crushing pretty hard on Sophia. It was actually, they were kind of cute together. It was flirty. Then I realized she's 22 and he's 37. And I felt a lot less cute about it. Okay, my quote, what I wrote down here, my note on this was super creepy. This 3722 thing was creeping me out. I'll also say, this is what he says to her. Being around you is challenging because I have a girlfriend, but also you're my type, basically. What he was saying is, it's hard to be around you because I have a girlfriend, but I also want to fuck you. Yep. And he's 37, she's 22. I'm worried about her. The moment where he puts like the flower in her hair and says he loves her aura... I was like, run, girl, run. And her being 22, it's not just that she's 22. I mean, there's plenty of young people on this show that I think have the right attitude about what this show is. And I hope that I'm proven wrong. But I feel like 
she's a pretty immature 22, and I'm worried that that she's going to get hurt by this in some way. I I think we're going to see from my hot takes on Temptation Island that I am at my core a romantic. So I'll be like watching some interaction, and I'm like, oh gosh, maybe that's cute, and then my brain is like, no, this is not cute. She's 22. He's 37. I kind of get what Chelsea's saying about him looking at people now because he's got this like permanently 25% drunk leery face going on all the time. And, you know, yeah. he's got three buttons down, which is universal shirt button code for down to clown. <laughs> Again, he seems a little creepy and I'm worried. I, I do wish that these shows, I mean, again, obviously these shows are incentivized to create these kinds of dynamics, but I do wish that there was more like in the way that boxing has weight classes. I do wish there were more kind of age maturity classes in a way to kind of prevent uh, these kinds of these kinds of situations. What's going on with Chelsea, I find moderately kind of interesting. I mean, because she's going on sort of simultaneously exploring something with Blake while realizing this Thomas stuff is kind of problematic. Like she has this conversation where she's chatting with I have him written down as Pasta Tom, the, the chef guy. And he's like, if I brought my girlfriend here, it would be to break up. And Chelsea's like, well, I'll make my own conclusions. Three second pause. Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> and it was a little bit, it was a little bit brutal, actually. She's like real time realizing that this is not somewhere you take somebody if you want to stay with them. Tom was, Pasta Tom was just dropping facts and Chelsea was, was picking him up and it was not making her happy. I thought, if we're pivoting off Chelsea here, that Blake had sort of the, an interesting character arc in this episode. He started off, I last episode, it was like, oh, he seems sweet, he seems nice, he loves scuba diving, what more can any of us want in a partner? And this episode, he said a few things that I thought was creepy. I did not like when he referred to himself as the dad of the group. That to me is a red flag. That's a way for a man to tell you that he's more mature than all the other men, which if someone has to tell you that, it's usually not a great sign. Um, And then, and you know, stop me if I'm just jumping about too quickly. We had the controversy that I literally have no idea what they were talking about. So this is what happened. Some champagne was spilled in the first episode. Kristen said that whoever spilled it should have to clean it up. And I will say her tone was a little bit aggressive. She did say, you'll have to get on your hands and knees and use Clorox wipes, which was specific enough to make me think that she had a mildly sadistic fantasy in her mind when she said that. She didn't just say whoever spilled it cleaned it up. Supposedly then that left a bad taste in Evan's mouth, somebody who has nothing to do with the show except for this very small controversy. And Evan was trying to talk to Kristen and apologize for this and in so doing outed Blake for saying that Blake told him that Kristen didn't like Evan. The only thing that's actually mildly interesting about all of this is that it took place while people were wearing disco rainbow-colored fro wigs, which made me think of just this like, one of my favorite things is when couples get in fights at Halloween parties. And so they're having this like earnest conversation and screaming at each other, but they're dressed like random idiots. Like you'll have like, like, like Bozo the clown will be having a conversation with Ruth Bader Ginsburg about like how somebody was trying to fuck Gumby in the corner. I mean, it's just, it's 
there's no wrong time to make seemingly dramatic conversations more entertaining by putting on stupid costumes. What I will say about Blake, so to build off what you said, yes, that that dad of the group thing was creepy, but it's also what he said before that. He said that he's there for the guys as much as the girls, which is if this were a less heteronormative show, I think would be really healthy. But what it really reflects is just how little he does actually seem to care about the women. And I do think, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say about somebody and you may want to cut this out because this may be going too far but this idea of being on a show where he's supposed to be there to try to meet women but only caring about connecting about the guys made me think about a little bit about that one that one element of the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings which was the idea that he was how much he was concerned about the other guy in the room And like that was functionally the whole point of being abusive was to create camaraderie with this other guy. And not to say that anything he's doing is abusive towards Chelsea, but it, there is a weirdness to this dynamic as he's talking to her about supposedly his feelings for her, how invested he is in those other guys approval, which seems a little bit weird to me. I agree with that. And it's a weird way to build yourself up to her. Like, instead of saying, like, these are things I like about you, or even, like, here's some things that are true about myself in relationships or past relationships. He's saying, like, I'm a good guy because I care about these other guys. Instead of being like, I'm a good guy because I'm going to care about you. And Chelsea seems to identify a pattern later in the episode in her own kind of dating life, which is that she ends up with these people who spread their attention around, say, broadly, and that that doesn't work for Chelsea. And Blake is doing it in a creepy way, but I think Chelsea could possibly learn an actually useful lesson about herself, which is that maybe she's just not someone with sort of enough confidence, or maybe she just isn't someone who likes being with a partner who's a social butterfly. There was also a very funny moment during that self-discovery where Chelsea was, as she was souring on Blake, was like, Blake's kind of being a dick, which surprises me because me and him have so much in common. And it's like, (laughs) what you have in common is that you like scuba diving and snowboarding. I feel like there are probably some assholes who enjoy moderately expensive outdoor activities. How dare you speak badly of the scuba diving committee, Daniel Paul? (laughs) Let's move on to Aaron and Corey in terms of what's going on in this episode, because I think there's actually a lot of a lot of interesting stuff here. So I'm curious which side you want to start in on this. Corey's because they both seem to have a lot of different kinds of self-discovery in this episode. I'm curious what who interested you more of the two? Well, maybe I'll let you take the Aaron side because I seem to have more notes about the Corey side. Corey seems like he's starting to see the writing on the wall. So he says, um, I think Aaron took advantage of me. And he's talking to two women at that time. I think it's Amanda and Nicole. And Corey, oh, there was another quote Corey has where he says, um, you know, today is the first day that I don't feel anxious. And so there's a way in which I think, poor Corey, there's a way in which I think Corey is settling into his life here on the island and both realizing that maybe his relationship is not a relationship that's working and also like maybe there are some women here that he might be interested in going on a date with i feel bad for him nicole 
is so drunk when he tries to talk to her at the party about, you know, why he didn't ask her out and she's weeping and it's embarrassing. Let's talk about Nicole Gate here because the title of this episode, if you watch it on Hulu, is Did Me Dirty. Oh, really? Which is directly quoting Nicole saying, you did me dirty. (laughs) Now, I have to say, this is literally my favorite kind of reality show drama in which somebody who is not in a relationship with somebody who literally is in a relationship with somebody else feels disrespected because that person who is literally dating somebody else did not take them on a date. But do you feel in any way that Nicole was done dirty? No. Nicole, like, hit on Corey. And Corey asked out a different woman. And neither Nicole nor the woman he asked out are actually Corey's girlfriend. So, no, she was not done dirty. This is such a Bachelor trope, too, in that all of the singles refer to the Bachelor as their boyfriend in a way that is just profoundly delusional, but is mandated, I suppose. Like, I'm sure that producers tell them to communicate it like that. It it makes me think of, this is a weird aside, but the way that NASCAR drivers refer to NASCAR as a sport or as the sport. And I'm not here to litigate it. Like, I mean, I it can be a sport if you want it to. But the way they refer to it as our sport or the sport is transparent in that it's reinforced. It also reminds me, this is a third weird thing, but just when you're on a bus, you're on a Greyhound bus, the insistence that the driver has in communicating that it is, quote, a motor coach or talking about what you can and cannot do whilst the coach is in motion. Like, it's a fucking bus. Like, it's fine. I bought the ticket. I know what I'm here for. If I'm watching NASCAR, I know what they're doing. They're driving cars left. Like, it's not your boyfriend on The Bachelor. Anyway, but again, the, the sense of reiterating that delusion feels to me like it, it comes down from the producer's Nicole sounds 12, and I guess you're right. She must just be drunk. But when she's just like, like, we would really be an awesome couple. Like, it sounded like she was talking about her and Lance Bass or something. It was, she does not seem like an actual adult. Whereas I think I kind of like Amanda. Like, Amanda has a kind of chill vibe. Yeah, I love Amanda. I mean, I love Amanda. Amanda could turn out to be a psycho in the next episode. But I currently love Amanda and Corey together. I just, she seems chill and I want Corey to have like Corey I feel like right now is like when someone's chihuahua like needs to take like a Xanax you know and like the Xanax has finally taken effect and the Corey chihuahua has stopped vibrating and I just want him and Amanda to like be chill take a nice walk have a second Xanax. Just everyone be cool. And I I like them together. I think they're cute. The only other thing to chat about with this is, you know, the Shaq Aaron date. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you think they have any chemistry because he seems so jacked about it. He seems so excited. And I feel like they have the chemistry of like a, I don't know, a bowl of dry pasta. I just, I did not Aaron did not seem interested in him. I don't even have anything more to say. I just felt like he was super jazzed and maybe thought something was going to happen. And I think she has no interest in having sex with him, no matter what he can make his pecs do. I was trying to think of who Shaq reminds me of now that we know more about him other than that he can toggle his pecs or whatever. And the answer is Grover from Sesame Street. He has the biggest horizontal grin and his head is basically shaved. 
And he was reminding me of Grover, which perhaps explains why she doesn't want to fuck him. But, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that. But I think it is interesting that she did not continue just to sock her out with Griffin. So I'll be interested to see what her next move is because she's not, she's one of the few that is not staying in an initial lane. I'm curious too. I mean, I thought she was the only one who changed, quote unquote, after the bonfire. Like she heard Corey say like, I don't really want to be here. I feel like, you know, uh, she's made me feel like I'm a second class citizen. And Aaron was like, yeah, I do that. And that, I don't know, that seemed to have an impact on her. We'll see what that impact might be or how long lived such an impact might be. But So that makes me think two things that I just wanted to chat about in general about kind of like this notion of the show as a journey or the process of change that they're going on. One of which is just a stupid joke and the other one is perhaps more serious. The first thing I was thinking though, it was a moment where Chelsea was talking about like, these are the good people to have on a journey. It's just making me think of Oregon Trail and how much I would love to watch a reality show called Temptation Oregon Trail, where instead of going to some island and everything being relaxing, you split up with your boyfriend for a month and you go in a covered wagon with these five dudes and you go through like hardship and typhus and stuff. And I think that would perhaps more accurately help you decide who you want to be with. But the other thing that I was thinking about more seriously is just how early in the process. And by that, I mean the process of filming the show, they are narrating the process of their growth in a way that it made me think a little bit of that that line in the Foster Wallace essay about the cruise ship where he describes being on a cruise. It's not just that you actually have a good time or they want you to have a good time. They are constantly telling you that you are having a good time. And it seems to me a little bit that to the extent that they have watched this show, the show does edit and encourage the characters towards discussing this as a process of growth. And I think there's an element of them being told that they are going to grow through it that leads them to simply narrate that they are changing more than actually changing. I think you may be right about Aaron actually changing, but I do think that there is an extent to which the change that they are discussing, it's not just that they are faking it for a show, it's that they have convinced themselves they will change to the extent that they have convinced themselves they are changing, even if that's not necessarily what's happening. I think that's true. I do also think if you have a group of people who are not perhaps the most introspective human beings, which I think we could agree is probably most people who end up on Temptation Island, I imagine it would be jarring to watch like film of your partner saying truth is about your relationship that maybe they've even like said to your face in the heat of an argument or something. But like you're in a different headspace when you're hearing that when you're not in the middle of a fight when you're not together when they're saying it to another human being and that other human being is like affirming the rightness of what your partner is saying again just like maybe people who don't introspect who perhaps don't listen all that much I could imagine that being a somewhat powerful catalyst for change assuming you weren't just Kendall uber anxious to get back to lap dancing I want to leave Kendall for last because obviously that is the coupling that has the most conventional, traditional drama, at least as the episode ends us. So just to quickly talk about Kristen and Julian, 
so Kristen says, this is just a ludicrous sentence, but she says, if my dad sees that, meaning the video of people dancing near Julian, he won't be happy. And again, this is literally the most benign thing possible on Temptation Island, which really does raise the question. And I'll be curious how we come at the end of the show. Is she an idiot or is she calculating? And you're coming down at the moment saying that you think she is using this as an excuse to break up with him, something she wants to do, has wanted to do for a while. Whereas I think I am leaning at the moment, maybe just to create disagreement between us, that she's just completely confused about what this was ever going to be. But did this episode change your mind about Kristen and Julian in any way? No, unless maybe to say that I I made me think she's even more calculating than I thought before. I mean, Kristen talking to those dudes is acting like she watched Julian go down on a woman in a jumbotron in Times Square (laughs) instead of getting like an awkward lap dance. And I think, you know, when she says to those dudes, like, I would like to break up with him, but our families are good friends. And that's going to be awkward. So it's like she's creating a video portfolio for her parents so that when they're like, I can't believe you let that nice young man go, she could be like, but look at him eating this other woman's pussy. And then they're going to be like, oh, I guess it's okay that you broke up. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm super wrong, but she just. You're convincing me. You're convincing me that that's her end game. Somebody, one of the two dudes that's just sitting there. I think it's Blake and somebody, because I wrote in my notes, Blake is clearly more interested in these guys than he is in any of these girls. She'd rather put up with his shit than deal with the hassle of disconnecting their lives. And I guess my feeling about this is, A, what does that mean to put up with his shit? I mean, he hasn't cheated on her in five years, which, look, if you want to break up with somebody because they cheated on you, fine. But if you're going to stay with somebody for five years after they cheated on you and you don't forgive them, then I'm sorry, you're fucking sadistic. Like, you just want to have that shit to hold over them. He seems like a sweet guy. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't break up with somebody because they violated your trust. But if you stay with them, you have to forgive them. So I don't know what shit they're referring to. I mean, to be crass with with them, it's like, girl, you got to shut it right off the pot. Like, he hasn't cheated on you in five years. He wants to marry you. You either can be like, I am incapable of forgiving this violation. We have to break up. Or you just have to finally fucking forgive him and get married, I guess. Or, you know, don't get married and live together as long-term monogamous partners, whatever your jam is. But she seems to want to... Oh, wait. This brings me to a, a, a rare moment of Mark Wahlberg saying something I really agreed with. <laughs> Aha! Mark, drew, uh, Mark in the bonfire said, you're a victim of comfort in your relationship. And I think that that's actually true. She's comfortable with him. She enjoys holding it over his head. She doesn't want to rock the boat with their families. And now she's finally like, I want out of this. I better get some night vision footage of him banging someone. So I can leave this relationship as the victim. I think that's what she wants. She's not going to get it, though. At least that's my prediction. I don't think that he's going to do something stupid on TV. I think he legitimately wants to stay with her. And I think she's going to break up with him anyway. And I think it's going to be sad. I think so too. I mean, I think maybe if she fucks someone else, he might make out with someone else, but I don't think she's going to fuck anyone else. I don't think she's there for that. I think she's just waiting in her nest to see if he slips up. So before we get to Kendall and Alexis, is there anything you want to say about Erica's ongoing therapy that she's having on her own? Not really. She keeps having little moments that break my heart. Like when she 
she walks into the dinner and it's like little taco fixings oh are on the right <laughs> are on the the table and she's just like it feels so unbelievable to to go into a room where there's food that I didn't have to prepare you know while barefoot and doing exercises like it's just it's so grim I just there are all these small moments that I just want to give her a hug and be like girl. I will say, so we get into Kendall and Alexis. Alexis says, quote, this is like a fairy tale. And I want to ask you, Gwen Kirby, what fairy tale exactly is this like? <laughs> Alexis, no. Oh, God. I mean, Alexis basically looks Kendall in the eyes. And she's like, so there's no rules. She might as well just say, so I'm for sure going to be sitting on your dick like tonight right she actually might have it's possible the producers were like all right that's a little aggressive even for us can you scale it back like 10 percent?" i mean legit and he basically looks at her and he says yes you will be sitting on your on my dick tonight and then she's like it's like a fairy tale <laughs> I, I mean i don't know i i haven't read that particular fairy tale i really enjoyed the ladies were talking about the the kendall and alexis situation and, and they say, quote, Kendall has come here and he's so open to the whole experience. And he makes you feel valued. More people need to be like Kendall. Ladies, ladies, ladies. Kendall is very open to the experience of having sex with you. More than that. I, sh- I mean, I don't know. I, was, I felt like I was like through the fucking looking glass at that point. I quite enjoyed that as well. And again, there's an argument to be made that like Kendall is approaching this the right way. If you accept that where they are is a place of absurdity and monstrousness. But I just wish that he was paired with somebody who wasn't Erica. Yeah. Like if he was paired with Aaron, I might feel a little bit better about the entire situation. But of course, I mean, you know, it's like in the good place or something, right? It only creates the, the appropriate level of sadism if you match the couples in a way that creates that kind of anxiety. Kendall says, quote, I'm interested to see how this night goes, which is like the (laughs) most benign possible way to say, like, I am going to fuck her. Oh, oh, it's so it's and then like their little foreplay dance is so just uncomfortable. She's like, oh, I'm sleepy. And he's like, oh, yeah. Here's my actual question. And I think I know your answer, but they end with a fade out of his hands on her ass, they do not end with a fade out of night vision camera sex, which is again, an argument that maybe they don't actually hook up because the producers probably would use that footage. But I'm curious, like what percentage chance do you think there is that they hooked up? So the episode cliffhanger is, do they bone right now or 20 hours from now? (laughs) And I think... I actually think that they bone 20 hours from now. I don't think they have sex right then. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think Alexis is perhaps a little invested in drawing it out. I think she possibly, maybe I'm giving her too much credit. I think she can a little bit read the writing on the wall with Kendall, which is that I think once they fuck, he's on to the next thing. And so her story arc, for me, is that once they have sex, her value in the franchise goes down. Not like, and 
Hey, this is a sex positive podcast. Her value as a human being is 0% change. Yay, sex, do whatever you want, Alexis. But I think she's going to make him wait another day. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's really smart. I mean, I thought that they don't only because I thought we would get fade out with night vision. Maybe not all the way to night vision sex, but some kind of ambiguous night vision cuddling. What you're saying makes a lot of sense, especially, remember, she introduced herself as I'm Alexis. You're going to be seeing me in the bonfire clips. She is very aware of the narrative structure of the show. And I think you're right that, that she wants to maximize her narrative relevance and delaying hooking up with him is certainly going to do that. I mean, I think that's why she says it's like a fairy tale. <laughs> that. Right. But like they have to be there to find love. She can't just be like, he's the obvious person who was gonna cheat on his girlfriend. So I'll be doing that with him for screen time. I just hope there's somebody out there and I'm, I'm talking directly to the like 23 year old first year MFAs who watch this episode and are like, I want to write something for the fairy tale review that is about this episode of Temptation Island or is like some kind of like fairy tale retelling or mythology retelling set on Temptation Island. And, you know, they say write the thing you want to read in the world, but I'm, I'm too exhausted to actually write that, but I do, I do want to read it. So if you you're out there listening, go ahead and write that. Shout out to you, 23 year old MFA <laughs> students. So, so <laughs> speaking of the fade away with her hands on the ass, um, this does segue into one of the, one of the categories that I want to discuss very briefly, which is favorite fake song from this episode. So there are a lot of fake songs in this episode. They last about 30 seconds and they're supposed to sound like pop music, but they're cheaper than real pop music. And the one that they use at the end with the hands on the ass is, what have you done to me? You pull me close and I can't say no. What have you done to me? I don't know that you got the tune right. I got the lyrics right, though. The lyrics are, what have you done to me? You pull me close and I can't say no. Other standouts that I will I will call out here, one that says, I, I want to spend the rest of my sunsets with you, just does that on a repeat. Let me see you twerk, and now you know that. Let me see you twerk, and you show that. And another one, it's the summer night vibe, and we're coming for high. You're looking mighty fine, and I want to see you shine. What was your pick for your favorite fake song from this episode? Oh, good shit. Well, I feel like the true fake song magic is when they pair it with footage that it just really in no way matches. And so for me, it really was the what have you done done to me? Hold me close. Like these two people are just horny. This is not, there's nothing else happening here. I don't even know, frankly, if Alexis is horny for him. I know she's willing to have sex with him. I just, I, I love the juxtaposition of that song. Like they were fucking Romeo and Juliet was fabulous. See, I went the other direction. My favorite was the one that directly referred to it to the point of being like, it seemed like it belonged on Sesame Street, which is while they were snorkeling. Oh, come on and swim in the ocean and under the sea, get ourselves deep, happy and free. Oh, come on, swim in the ocean. Like just describing their activity with some vaguely One Direction music going on in the background was my favorite. I like that too. And a good segue for me to say that I've never understood snorkeling. The little little snorkel tube is just not that long. So like you're paddling around 
and like a wave comes and the water goes right into the snorkel and then you're like coughing up water and you gotta get up and they'll like show those photos of them like diving under the water snorkel doesn't help you once you're under the water you might as well just hold your goddamn breath bonfires bullshit scuba diving bullshit snorkels bullshit Scuba diving makes sense because you have an oxygen tank. It actually helps when you're under the water. Snorkels don't help you at all. See, this is a decent segue because I, the next silly question I had is who is your rec time MVP? Because we do get some interstitials of people working out, hanging out, having fun. I have one of that. Well, I assumed that you, that your ridiculous rant about nonsense was going to be like critiquing the form of the people playing cornhole, considering that you're such a lawn game expert in your own mind. But maybe I'm wrong. Who was your rec time MVP? You are wrong, though I did frankly note that they didn't seem like they were that good at cornhole. But no, my rec time MVP is Erica. Yes! For the hammock! When she Yes! Yes! When she's in the hammock and she's like, her mouth is half full. Yes! And she's just like, she is lounged back like a goddamn queen, watching this group of ripped dudes do push-ups. And she just like takes another chunk of food and she says, you guys make it look so easy. And then she just sticks the food in her mouth and keeps chewing and ogling. And I was like, Erica girl, finally living your good life. Rec MVP all the way. Unanimous award for Erica. Rec time MVP. <laughs> I just have written here, Erica eating Sammy in the hammock. Like crushing it. All these people are trying to flex. Like it's a very Love Island vibe, which I guess I kind of get because there's so little to do. And probably, like, if you're on the show, you have a six-pack, your identity is linked to your body. Like, it makes sense they would want to work out, and there's nothing else to do in the morning. But Erica just being like, fuck that noise. I'm in the hammock with my sandwich. Heroic. All right, next stupid question. Whose was your favorite disco ensemble? And for those who didn't watch the episode, they decided to have disco night. And by they, I mean the producers. It is very clear. It was not as if these people were just like, you know, it would be fun, a disco night. Let's hope that they just have a bunch of random wigs that we can put on. But whose was your favorite ensemble from from these proceedings? All right. I feel like you're going to have a better answer for this than me. I did not have a particular favorite ensemble. I had a favorite duo. uh, Cooking Tom and Juwan were disco buddies in a way that I enjoyed enormously. I really liked that they, they had like their little talking head together where they were talking about it. And then they were like, let's spritz. And like, they both get up their little hairspray thing and they're like, spritz, 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 spritz. They knew what was happening and they were enjoying how stupid it was. And I enjoyed them enjoying it. My answer is close. I just said Juwan. He had a pink fro with a paisley shirt. And he also is a human being that I did not know was on the show and had never seen before. I had never seen that name before in my life. For his first introduction to us to be with that ensemble, I thought was a very strong move. But I like what you said about him pairing with Pasta Tom, who I think might just be a little too short for any of the women to want to fuck him. But I'm enjoying as a character. He's, as part of the the chorus, the Greek chorus, he's dropping some truths for some people. All right, last stupid question. Whose was your favorite swimsuit from this episode? Oh, I have a strong opinion about this one. My favorite episode or swimsuit from this episode is Amanda. So she's on the date where they're kayaking and paddleboarding, and she is wearing a full sleeve athletic swim top. 
the kind of thing that you could be like in the Olympics in. And that is just as it should be. If you're going to be doing paddleboarding shit, you don't want your boobs just like popping out left and right and center. She is in it to win it. And I loved that. Also, I would have preferred the paddleboarding date to the scuba date or to the snorkeling date because again, snorkeling is stupid. Important commentary as always. Um, I like that you picked that. I'm almost surprised when you, that they would allow her to wear something that would in any way conceal her cleavage, given that this is Temptation Island. My favorite was Chelsea's, and I wonder if you can explain it to me a little bit. Like, it looked like one of those rugs that you would have in a kitchen, literally that I do have in my kitchen, that is, like, weaved, woven is a better word, that is woven out of, like, different colored strands. Like, it was the most rug-looking bathing suit I've ever seen in a way that entertained me, but I don't know if perhaps it's in style at the moment. Oh, well, thank God I'm here to let us know. Uh, no, I have no fucking idea. I just, most of those swimsuits just seem so precarious. Like they are literally one dive into a pool away from that top coming right off. Which in fairness, those are not athletic swimsuits. And I, you know, I respect that. But I, I liked Amanda anyway. And so I liked that she was like, fuck it. I'm going to wear something that's comfortable. You don't often get to see women making that choice on reality television. So I was into it. Not quite sandwich in a hammock, bold move, but still pretty bold. All right, we're going to wrap it up as always, just state of the franchise, where we're at with it. So who at the moment, if you had to pick, and there are many great candidates, most likely to break up? I had a hard time with this one. So I in, so I decided in first place, I've got Erica and Kendall. I just think that's just fucked. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have anything smarter to say about it. I think she's she seems to be realizing that it's fucked and he seems to be on a no holds barred mission to get laid. Um, but I will say I, in a very close second place is Kristen and Julian. I think Kristen really, really wants out in a way that to me just makes it feel inevitable. I don't know. What about you, Dan? I think Kendall and Erica are the most likely to break up on the show and the most sadly likely to get back together in the real world. I worry that without having her support with her that at some point she will just resubmit to his various levels of, of abuse in terms of Kristen and Julian. I do think I, I can't put them at the top of the list because I do think there's like a five to 10% chance that she is going to actually miss him, right? If the problem is that they're too comfortable with each other, I do think there's a chance that spending a month with just a different phylum of asshole is going to make her realize that he actually is a sweetheart. And if he doesn't do something stupid, which seems possible considering his behavior so far, I do not rule out that her deciding like that he is worth staying with. I I, I don't know that they're most likely to break up because I think it's almost a hundred percent Erica that Kendall is obviously going to sleep with Alexis and Erica will will break up with him on the show. Like you can't on TV accept that. But I, I think Aaron and Corey are each realizing they don't want to be with each other. And I agree with that. I also think that Thomas is going to cheat on Chelsea and that that's going to lead her to hopefully find somebody sweet. I don't know enough about these singles to know, like, Chelsea hasn't really made a connection with someone I like. Like, you know how I feel about dentists. And obviously Blake is, is kind of falling, falling off. Well, I guess that, that links to the same question. I mean, who would you say is the most likely to stay together, if any of them, if you had to pick one? I had a hard time with this one because I don't, at the moment, see any of them staying together. But I think if Corey 
make some connections, but they end up not being strong connections. And Aaron realizes that maybe therapy is more needed to deal with her past athletic traumas than just another uh, athlete. That I could see them getting back together or staying together at the end. The the narrative that I just gave about Kristen Julian, I'll just re-up here. I think there's a chance. Again, it, it comes down to how dead set we assume she is on breaking up with him from the jump. It's just such a weird way to break up with somebody. Like, I'm not saying it's not effective, but it's so weird, right? This is what one of the reasons you said you like this show, is that it's such a high-concept way to break up. But it's such a high-concept way to break up, if that was her plan from the beginning. I mean, literally the idea that you're like, I know what I need to do to get out of this. I need video footage of my boyfriend... Fucking that I can show my parents and that'll be what fixes the problem like that is ludicrous and I love it I mean it's terrible and no one should ever do that to anyone so on the question of who we see as the most likely new couple last week the only real candidate was Chelsea and Blake but if we fade them because they seem to be she seems to be realizing he's kind of a dick despite the fact that he snowboards <laughs> Who are you seeing right now as the most likely new couple? I mean, in contrast to my last answer, which was Corin and Aaron most likely to stay together, I think most likely new couple might be Corey and Amanda. Yeah, I hope so. I don't know how much of that is just in my heart. The question is, does she actually like him? Because the fact, the only thing that he has going for him that I can see is that he seems to be the most sympathetic of these four humans, which is like not really an argument to actually be with somebody. No, but if... If they end up having a rapport, I think I think they, they're sweet together. And they talk together like normal human beings. And yes, the bar is that low, but they clear it. So mazel tov. Do you have an argument that anybody besides Kendall should win the award for, at the moment, leader in the clubhouse for Biggest Asshole? No, oh, fuck no. I, I have that Blake is beginning to show signs of douchebaggery. But no, Kendall is running away with that one so fast. I is going to be tough to catch him. Oh, I guess I should also say uh, Tom hitting super hard on a 22-year-old is not exactly like painting him in glory. Thomas was going to be my candidate because, again, Kendall at the moment is being an absolute asshole to Erica, but he's been the same asshole to Erica simply by going on this show. Thomas, I worry just about it, like his behavior towards Sophia, whereas Kendall and Alexis seem 100% on the same page, and they're in this beautiful fairy tale. No, I agree with you. Kendall is not in a position where he's going to hurt Alexis. I mean, as you said already, like, she introduced herself by saying, you're going to see me fucking your boyfriend in night vision at a bonfire. <laughs> so, like, yes. she knows what's up. An ancient, Sophia... <laughs> an ancient proverb, always more beautiful in the original Yiddish. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, Sophia, on the other hand, is having romantic flowers tucked in her hair and making big eyes at Tom, I, she seems like she could actually be, be hurt. So I, you're not, I think you make a very strong case for Tom as a douche, as the biggest asshole. So last week we said the person we felt the worst for was Corey. I feel a little better for him this week just because I feel like he's growing. I can't believe I said that. This show is so insidious. <laughs> but he's, and he's also potentially building someone with Amanda who we, something with Amanda who we like. So who are you feeling worst for right now? Because for me, it's Erica with a bullet. Oh, it's Erica all the way. I, 
everything she says makes me sad. I mean, like, I that was also partly why I was so happy for her eating sandwiches in the hammock. <laughs> I was like, this girl has earned just some watching Beefcake's Beefcake while she has a snack. And I hope one of those Beefcakes made her that goddamn sandwich. Like, that girl is owed. Indeed. We're going to be monitoring the show as it goes on very carefully to see what kind of sandwiches Erica is given in compensation for the emotional hell that she's been put through by Kendall and now by this TV show. Well, we're going to end it there. Thank you all for listening. Again, please don't hesitate to reach out to us with listener questions at at batch underscore face on Twitter or resting batch face at Gmail. And in both instances, we spell batch like Johann Sebastian Bach. And most importantly, Happy birthday to Andrew, a man, a man who would never bring his partner to this absurd show and for all of his brilliance and accolades, a man who got very excited by the captain on season two. He did. My husband would never watch this trash on his own, but he watches it with me out of love. And I mean, what more can you want in a partner but to to tolerate one's own foibles? All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night. Thanks for listening, everyone. We have no outro music. Was it hold me close? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Gwen Kirby's career as a outro music (laughs) vocal stylist still TBD. See you later, everybody. (laughs) 